All right, good morning. If I could, let me go ahead and get your attention now and we'll get started. Uh, let me just encourage you as I do each week, if you want to keep up with what's going on, we work to keep our bulletin up to date and give the accurate information in that. So just grab a bulletin and actually read it and that'll go a long way with you just staying up to date with things. Secondly, is uh, I just want to highlight a couple of those announcements that are in there. One is a volunteer lunch, uh, just kind of a thank you lunch, which will be next week. So if you work and volunteer in the nursery or with the children's church or on Wednesday night, uh, if you're involved in any of those, we, we want you to stay. And the plan is, you know, obviously you have families. We want them to stay as well. So we'll try to have that pretty quickly after the service concludes next week probably about 1130, uh, and we're going to just eat lunch together. Your family can eat with you, and uh, we're, we're going to maybe go over Chelsea and, and Abby are going to kind of go over some things that we just want to reiterate, maybe some new things that we might be doing for the upcoming year, and we just want to say thank you. So just uh, moms, don't, don't, you don't have to think about what you're doing for lunch next week. Just uh, plan to stay and participate with that, uh, and, and we'd love to see you there. Um, we also have a work day coming up on the 15th, and then membership class, which uh, if you are, have been visiting or attending with us for a while, this is just a great way for you with really, there's no pressure involved in it, but just for you to be able to sit down and listen to us talk about what we are as a church, who we are, uh, what, are what is our goal, what is our aim here, and that might help you evaluate if this is the place to, that, that you ought to make uh, your church home. Also, if you're already a member but you haven't been through that class, um, we'd love to have you there as well. And there's a sign-up sheet in, in the back. So that will start on September 16th. At this time, I'm going to turn it over to Jared for our call to worship. Good morning. I want to welcome all of our visitors here. We want you to feel welcome and feel at home. We're glad you're here this morning. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 67. We've got seven verses here in this psalm, and I'm, we'll read them all together as we contemplate God's, uh, God's calling the nations in for salvation. Sort of a universal uh, offer of the gospel here. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on all the earth your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Will you pray with me? Father, in light of this uh, beautiful psalm, God, we, we must ask the question, how will the nations rejoice in you? you? You've stated very clearly through the psalmist that it is your intention that all the peoples, all the nations will sing for joy to God. We just learned in Sunday school that, that all men were created by you and for you. But God, now we need to ask the question, how will the nations hear? 
And Paul has a similar train of thought in, in, in Romans where he, he kind of reasons that down to no one will hear unless someone preaches to them. And so God, we see part of our purpose then as a church this morning implied in these verses. If we truly desire that the nations rejoice and sing to the praise of God, then we must be about the business of missions. We must be evangelistic in our own culture, our own setting, God. We must be drawing people to Christ, sharing the gospel, pursuing sinners for the glory of God and for the salvation of their souls. We cannot be self-focused. We must be other-oriented. And God, I pray that you would allow us, that you would help us, that you would draw us into that kind of service as a church, that we would not look only to our own interests, God, that we would look to the interests of others, that we would consider others more important than ourselves, and that we would not just be welcoming to people that come to the church house, but that we would go out and welcome people into the kingdom, taking the gospel to them. And God, that you would bless that, bless those efforts, God, see that to fruition in our church, that we would not just grow stronger and deeper and more theologically astute as we gather here, but that we would be motivated, Lord, by love and obedience to take the gospel out of these doors, God, to our children and to our spouses and to our workplaces and our schools and our doctor's offices, God, and our, our, our marketplaces, everywhere, God, that, that, that we go, that we would name the name of Christ, that we would gladly and boldly stand for him. God, enable that. And I pray that you, through us, would draw men to yourself, that you, through our testimony, would bless those sown seeds, God, and water those sown seeds, and that you, O oh God, would cause increase for your glory and for the salvation of the lost. And we seek that, O oh God, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's have our ushers come forward at this time. That goes along well with what we've been looking at in Ephesians, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And it was the grace of God that intervened in our lives to, to bring life to us. And so we praise him for that this morning. And uh, join me as we pray over the offering this morning. Lord, we come to you and we are eternally grateful for the grace that you have bestowed freely on our lives. We are completely undeserving. We could do nothing to earn it or merit it, Lord. It is completely free, given to you, given, given by you, Lord. And so uh, we come this morning really in, in a weak effort to respond to that grace, in, in a weak effort to, to, to praise you and to thank you because of what you've done in our lives already. So even as we give this morning, I pray that each one of us would give from a place of understanding that we're not giving to you, but we've received from you, Lord. Uh, that's what your grace is all about. Lord, we pray that we, you would use this offering this morning. Uh, as we give it to help support missions, as we give it uh, to, to help continue the work here, continue and to be fruitful. And Lord, we, we pray that we would give it out of a heart of love and devotion for you because of what you've done for us. We pray that it would be fruitful. We pray that we would use it wisely and, and that it would accomplish what we're giving it for. And so we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, our children can head out at this time. If you would, this morning while they're making their way out. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We've gotten back into working our way through the book of Ephesians. And uh, you'll remember that we looked at really 2, 8 to 10 last week. And so you might be thinking, well, you're skipping over a section. But we did cover 
uh, verses 11 through 22 a while back when we began our series on biblical community. And we're going to be looking at it really again, kind of looking back and reflecting on it from chapter 3 as well uh, this morning. So Ephesians chapter 3 and beginning at verse number 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. You know, we as human beings have a great capacity, a great interest in mysteries. There's, there's something about us and the way that we're designed and the way that we're made uh, that, that, that makes finding out secrets utterly appealing to us. Many of us like to watch things on TV that are mysteries, murder mysteries, other kinds of mysteries, because there's something in, in our nature that appeals to us in figuring out something that's been secret or hidden and, and coming to understand uh, what it is that's going on. In more recent days, uh, the political world has been swirling with mysteries. The CIA and their inner workings have been all over the news and social media. And for some of us, this creates a real hunger, doesn't it, to really know what's, what's going on. Most of us know, I think, that there's usually something more to the story than, than what's being, being told and because of this inclination and with a, a great deal of help from the Internet, uh, we see it in our political world. There, there are just conspiracy theories that abound everywhere. It, conspiracy theories used to be something that was kind of on the fringes of society. And uh, in our day and time, I'm seeing it more and more. It's, it's coming main, becoming mainstream uh, to, to believe in some kind of conspiracy theory, some mystery uh, that... that People think that they have figured out. They have some kind of secret knowledge. Based on the research and speculation and tips from people who supposedly in the know, many people have built an entire worldview, the, the way they think about reality, based upon their belief that they understand certain mysteries that very few other people understand. They believe themselves to have a sort of secret knowledge that enlightens them to reality while others remain in ignorance. 
If you follow these kind of things, you have probably heard of Q, uh, who is this individual that is supposedly releasing information in a sort of cryptic way on, on the internet, supposedly about uh, what is really going on and sort of giving tips about things that are, are coming in, in the future. And I'm not here to discuss the validity or uh, of that or the craziness of that, wherever you stand with that kind of thing. Uh, but, but my point is just to show you that there's something innate within us, and, that, and that's become very popular. There's something innate within us to want to know what's really going on, what's behind the, the things that we see. There's a, a mystery there. And really, that's not something that's new. Uh, all the way back in New Testament times, there were what have sometimes been referred to as mystery cults. And these were religious groups uh, who believed that they had some kind of secret knowledge uh, about God and about the world uh, that, that others did not have. And it explained, uh, uh, it explained reality for them. And so in the Roman Empire, these were, were popular. And so uh, you would be initiated into one of these mystery cults. And, and on, upon becoming initiated, going through all of these uh, different things and being sworn to secrecy, you would come to know what these secrets are, uh, the mysteries and so this is something that is very deep-rooted in, in culture and, and in history. You see, mankind has always had a penchant for feeling that he's the one on the inside. He's in the know. My point here this morning is simply to point out the reality that within each one of us, there's a desire to know what's really going on today. Many of us today would like to know uh, secrets about what's going on in, in our own country, what's going on with Russia or China or North Korea, but you know, really what we ought to be really concerned about is to know the truth about God. We ought to be, as Christians, those who are pursuing knowing what God is doing. At the end of the day, to know what God is doing in this world is really all that matters in the ultimate sense. You see, what, what matters is not what Robert Mueller is doing or what Trump is doing or what Vladimir Putin is doing or what China is planning or, or what Kim Jong-un is, is up to. What really matters in the grand scheme of history is what the Lord Almighty is doing. What is His plan? What is He at work doing? And we as Christians, although we are in this world and we have to live in this world and, and, and uh, there's a certain interest to know what's going on in, in our world, really what ought to stir our hearts and what ought to be the focal point of our lives is what is the plan of God? What is God doing in this world? Well, the good news for us this morning is that unlike the mystery cults of the Roman Empire in that day, you don't have to go through a secret initiation to find out the mystery of God. God's plan is not something that only the initiated few get to know. And unlike politics today, you don't have to have a secret insider who is mysteriously passing on to you cryptic messages that must be uh, deciphered. To know the mystery of God, you don't have to read Hillary Clinton's emails. Uh, God has made His mysterious plan known to us in his word he's he's revealed it and by his appointed messengers his apostles to bring to light for all people the mystery of god his his plan to redeem all people to redeem people from every nation and tribe and tongue 
as one new humanity. Well, as we look and dig into the context, this, this passage is all about a mystery. It's about the mystery of God. In the context, really, what, what's going on here, Paul is beginning a prayer. He begins in verse number one, for this reason I, Paul, and he begins to pray. And uh, the Apostle Paul is funny sometimes in the way that he communicates because he gets sidetracked at that point. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and he's getting ready to launch into a prayer which actually doesn't pick up again until verse 14, for this reason I, Paul, and then you see in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, and he goes into a prayer from there that he really began in verse number one, and so uh, the rest of this, verses two through 13, is really a side note. As Paul says, I, Paul, and he begins to talk about himself, he, he gives sort of a defense of his ministry, an explanation of his ministry to the Ephesians, and we know that the, the Apostle Paul played a unique role in redemptive history, and I think what we see this morning is that we can learn much both about the gospel and God's plan and about our own lives from this mystery that Paul is going to, to uh, reveal. Paul believed that God, by his remarkable grace, had specially chosen and entrusted uh, with him with a revelation of God's mysterious plan which he was to proclaim to all people. As we look at the sort of the main point of these verses, I think it is this, the eternal secret plan of God, his salvation and blessing of all peoples has now been made known through the apostles, especially Paul. And this plan should be to us a source of overwhelming joy, of humble service and surprising confidence. So let's just dive into this passage. The first thing that we see here is that the secret plan of God for history has now been revealed and made known. And you see that word several times, three times in our passages. You see that word mystery. You see it in verse 3, and then again in verse 4, and then down in verse 9. You see it used three times. So look at verse number 3, how the mystery was made known to me. And then in verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. And then verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden in God. And so the theme here is this mystery that Paul is saying there's a mystery about the way that God is working. It has been revealed to me, and my responsibility is to make it known to the nations. A mystery is something that's hidden or something that is unknown. And it's really unknowable apart from some kind of revelation. In the Bible, that's the, the way that a mystery works. It's something that is unknowable unless God reveals it to you. In so many ways, God is mysterious. God is a mystery because we can only know God through His revelation of Himself in, in His Word. That's the only way that we can know God. Unless God reveals Himself to us, we don't know. And... You know, even the way that God works in our lives, sometimes we say things like the Lord moves in mysterious ways. The Lord works in mysterious ways. What do we mean by that? We mean, well, there's a reason behind it. There's a plan that God has in what He's doing, but it's mysterious to me. I, I don't know. It, it's, it's hidden from me. God knows. There's an answer to it, but He hasn't revealed it to me. That's what a mystery is. But when we come to the New Testament, the unique thing about the mystery in the New Testament is that whenever the Bible talks about a mystery, it's something that God is going to reveal. He doesn't just say, there's this mystery here, 
and I'm just going to keep you in the dark. When he talks about a mystery, and when you see the word mystery used in the Bible, it's always something that God is saying, hey, I'm going to show you this mystery. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to reveal it. I'm going to bring it to light so that you can see, so that you can know what is going on here. All the way back in the book of Daniel, chapter 2, verse 22, it says of the Lord, He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 13, it says he answered to them, he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. That word secrets is the same word that Paul uses here, uh, mysteries. To you it has been given for you to know what is the secret, what is the mystery of the kingdom of God. So when we find the word mystery used in the Bible, it's something that has been hidden. It is something that is unknowable apart from God's revelation, but it is something that God is now making known to his people. Paul uses this word more than anybody else 21 times. And when Paul uses it, he's always referring to something that God already has, or God is now through the apostle Paul revealing and making it known. So look at our text and you can see this reality here. You can see that this is what Paul is doing here. So there's a mystery in verse three. Uh, he says how the mystery, look, was made known to me by revelation. So it's something that's unknowable, it's something that's hidden, but it's now been made known, Paul says, to me. In verse 4, he, can say, he says, as you, you read what I'm writing here, you will see that I have insight into this mystery. And then in verse number 5, we see again that it's been revealed, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. It's been hidden, it's been a mystery. People in past generations didn't know it, they didn't understand it but now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. It's been made known. And then again in verse number 9, one more time, we see the, the idea that it's been hidden, but it's been revealed. Paul's talking about his ministry to the Gentiles, how he's to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. It's been hidden. But now, through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, it's being brought to light. It's being revealed. It's a mystery that is uh, being displayed. Well, what is this mystery that Paul is talking about? What is the mystery? Well, in verse number 4, we see that he calls it the mystery of Christ. So, that indicates to us uh, that it's a mystery that, as you might suspect, as, as us who know the Bible, who know the Word of God, that he's talking about the Gospel. This is the mystery of Christ. This is the Gospel. You see that, I think, in verse 7, that, that, that he's talking about the Gospel. Of this Gospel, I was made a minister, he says in verse number 7. But what is it that's new about this? Because he's saying it's been hidden, and now it's just now, through his ministry, and through the ministry of the apostles, it's being revealed, it's being brought to light. What is new that has been hidden and is now being brought to light? What is this mystery? What does the gospel do that was up to that point hidden and mysterious? You know, when you read the Old Testament, you see the idea of a Messiah, you see the idea of a Savior. Uh, you see that God's a Redeemer of His people. 
So in that sense, that element of the gospel, we would say that's not really new. That's something that wasn't hidden. You just read the Psalms and you see the, 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 the psalmist praising God because he's a Savior and a Redeemer of his people. But the, the idea of a Jewish Messiah, the idea was of a Savior of Israel. And those things were not hidden. What has now been revealed is this, is that God is not only going to save Israel, He's not only going to save the Jewish people, but He's going to save people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue. So listen to Romans chapter 9. Uh, what we need to understand is that from an Old Testament perspective, we are not the people of God. We, we, are, we were outside of God's plan. God's plan of redemption was for His people, the descendants of Abraham, for the Jewish people. That's who salvation belonged to. That's who the promises belonged to. That's who the covenants belonged to. But now, through Jesus Christ, when that Messiah finally came, the, 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 the plan has been broadened out to include Gentiles like you and me. And when you see that, the word Gentiles in the Bible, just anybody who's not Jewish, anyone who doesn't uh, trace their lineage back to Abraham, that's really annoying, so I'm going to turn that off. All right, we'll try to stay close here. All right, so listen to Romans chapter 9. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ, this is Paul talking, for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. He's, he was a Jew, and he's talking about Jewish people and he says they are Israelites and now listen to this they are Israelites and to them belong the adoption the glory the covenants the giving of the law the worship and the promises so who are the recipients of God's promises of his covenants of his salvation who are, who are the ones who were appointed to be worshipers of God? Who was it that was given the law of God? Well, the answer from a, a biblical perspective was the, the Jewish people. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. Who is the Savior? Who does the Savior belong to? It belongs to, again, from an Old Testament Jewish perspective, it belongs to the descendants of Abraham. It belongs to the Jews. And so looking at it from this Old Testament perspective, the blessing of salvation, listen to this, the blessing of salvation did not belong to us. It wasn't, it wasn't for us initially. These promises were not intended for us. What is new then in the gospel and what is new in the New Testament is what makes the New Testament new is that God's redemptive plan, his adoption, his, his promises, uh, his covenants, the righteousness of the law, the worship, all of these things now belong not just to the Jewish people, but it belongs to all peoples, to whoever will believe in him. So the reason that you are here this morning, the reason that you can worship God, the reason that God's promises are for you, the reason that you have hope of salvation and redemption and all of those things is because God's plan that was initially narrow for the people of Israel has been broadened out. And he said, I'm going to include those people from Hallsville, Kentucky. I'm going to, I'm going to include those Gentile people, the nations from the United States of America. And so God has included all peoples, all nations, all tribes, all tongues. Now look at verse 6, because this is where Paul 
explains clearly that that's what he's saying. The mystery is, and you say, well, you could have just saved a lot of time and just read verse 6, but uh, I just wanted to unpack that. So the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They are members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the mystery. All through the Old Testament, God's people is Israel. These are the ones who redemption is for. This is the Messiah. This is who the Messiah is for. These are the who the promises and the covenants are for. And now, through Christ, through the gospel, we have been made, do you see here, uh, fellow heirs. And we have been made part of members of the same body. And we have been made partakers of the promise in Christ. You know, each one of these words in, in, in the Greek language has a, a little prefix on the beginning of it that means with or, or together. So we're not just heirs. We don't just say, he's not just saying, hey, you're heirs. He says you're fellow heirs or you are joint heirs. We're not just members of the body of Christ, but we are fellow members of the body of Christ. We're members of the same body. There's one people, there's one group. There's not, there's not two peoples of God. And not just, it's not just that we're partakers of the promises of God, but that we are, if you will, co-partakers of the promise. That word there, uh, partakers, it has the idea of being together with someone else. It can even be translated partners. And so we are partners in the promises of God with God's people. So this is the mystery that God has revealed, namely that people who previously, listen, People who previously had no connection to God have been incorporated into his people and have been made to share the promises of God's people together. That's the mystery. That was mind-blowing for uh, the people of that day. It was a radical idea. It, it was so radical that somebody like the, the, the apostle Peter, had to, God had to give him a dream to tell him in a special way, hey, guess what? This salvation thing, this Messiah thing, this Savior thing, it isn't just for Jewish people like you who don't eat pork. It's for everyone. It's for anyone who will believe whatever tribe or nation or tongue that they are from. It, that was a radical notion. What we see here is that Paul's just reiterating, re reiterating what he's already taught in chapter 2. If you were here for that, you'll remember Read verses in chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were apart. You didn't have anything to do with the Messiah. You were separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And so that's who we are. But then just running through here, we see that through the gospel, God has changed that. He's incorporated us into his people and made us participants in all of these blessings and all of these promises. So in chapter 2, verse 14, we see that Jesus broke down the dividing wall. And I won't read these, but I'd encourage you to go back and read this later today. He broke down the dividing wall. There's no longer two people separated into two different groups, Jews and Gentiles, but all have been made to come together. In chapter 2, verse 15, he says that he's created one new humanity. In verse 16, we're in one body. 
In verse 18, we have access through one spirit to the father. We got the same dad. We have the same father through the spirit that dwells in us. He's our father just like he was their father. In verse 19, we are fellow citizens. That means we belong to the same people. Again, in verse 19, we belong to the same household. In chapter 2, verse 20, we're being built all together into a temple for the Lord. We're all one building built together to be a dwelling place for God. And so this is the mystery that God has included us. Now, some of you... All you've ever known is the grace of God. All you've ever known is the gospel. And it it maybe seems to you, and I'm jumping way ahead of myself here, but it maybe seems to you that this is a little bit boring, that this is like a moot point. Yeah, well, God included us, big deal. But listen, God did not have to do that. We were, do you understand this morning? You were separated from God. You were, chapter two, without hope and without God in the world. And it's only by God's grace that he chose to freely include us into these promises. And so we ought to praise God this morning. We're fellow heirs. We talked about what it means to be an heir of God. All of the blessings, all of the promises that we've been given freely. We're members of, of the same body. We're not separated out from God's people, but he's brought us into, into his body. We're co-partakers of the promise, promises of God, the the promise of God in Christ Jesus. That word promise is used in, in, the, uh, in the New Testament to refer to everything from a Savior to the Holy Spirit to the promise of the resurrection to the promise of heaven to the promise of eternal life. And so we've been made co-partakers of, of all of those promises. Everything that you praise God for, eternal life, heaven, uh, the Holy Spirit, all of these things that God is doing in your life, These are the promises that he's made you a partaker of. So the promise here is this salvation with all of its multifaceted blessings. And you notice in verse number six that all of this happens through the gospel. It happens through Jesus Christ. It's John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so the gospel has been made to include anyone, whoever will believe. What a wonderful thing that God has done for us. The the next thing that we see is that God has entrusted the task, God entrusted the task of making this known, this mystery, to the Apostle Paul. God revealed this mystery we see to the apostles in verse number five. It was not made known to men in other generations, but it now has been revealed to the apostles and, and prophets. And so it's not just Paul, but all of, the, all of the apostles were given this revelation through Jesus Christ. And they were sent out. They were apostles. That means ones who are sent out. They were sent out to declare this message of the gospel. But Paul had a unique role in taking this message out. Paul calls himself in Romans chapter 11. He says, I'm, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. And you see this even here in in our passage. Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. Paul had a unique role, a stewardship in verse two of God's grace to proclaim this message of salvation to the Gentiles. You see that in verse number two. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me 
for you, for you Gentile people. He had been given a revelation. It had been revealed to him by the Spirit of God. Verse number 7, he was made a minister by the working of God's power. Verse number 9, grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles. So he was given this message. He was given the gifts that he needed and the empowerment that he needed to preach this gospel. This These things were things that did not belong to him, but God gave to him and entrusted to him so that he could then go and preach and proclaim the good news of the gospel. God revealed this mystery to Paul, but it wasn't just for Paul's own benefit. God made him a steward of it, that he would preach it to others. It is, in verse number two, it is for you, he says, for you Gentile people. Thirdly, this morning, we see that this plan, and particularly our inclusion in it, this plan should be a source, I think, of overwhelming joy, of humble service, and surprising confidence. So let's just unpack each one of those. And I think we see this, one by implication, and and the other two just by Paul's example. First of all, overwhelming joy. As I've already stated, I'm not sure that we sometimes fully appreciate what God has done for us. Uh, You know, we as people, we have a tendency when we receive something to come to the place where we begin to expect it. Well, yeah, of course, that, that's just what I ought to have. We as Americans have that, don't we? We, we experience freedom and, and material prosperity, and God has given it to us, and we just come to expect it like, like everybody in the world has this, but they don't. This is a unique, special blessing that God has given to us by his grace that we don't deserve. What a wonderful thing that God has allowed us to live in freedom and in prosperity. But we come to expect those things, don't we? And so it is with the gospel. So it is that we expect, well, of course I'm a Christian. Of course I'm saved. Of course God wants me. Of course God included me in his plan. But do you understand? You didn't deserve it. And you weren't even part of his people initially. You were not part of the Jewish people to whom he had made these promises and these covenants. And so it is by his grace that he brought you in. He had his people and he he opened the door and included these other people. What a wonderful thing it it is. From a human perspective, we might say that God broadened his plan to include us. Now, we know in verse 11, he says that this was uh, the eternal plan of God. This was the eternal plan of God. God knew this plan, but as God had Uh, systematically over time revealed his plan in the Old Testament from that perspective it was something that was a mystery so in verse 11 it was the eternal plan of God but in verse 5 it was a mystery to the sons of men in other generations they were not they knew that they were not the people of God when you look to the Old Testament God's word to the Old Testament people who were not Jewish was always Uh, almost always, a word of judgment. So just think about the Gentile nations, right? The Canaanites, what happened to them? God said, destroy them. God brought judgment upon the Egyptians. God rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. God brought judgment on the Assyrians and the Medes and Persians and Babylonians. Only on a rare occasion did God deal graciously with, with pagan nations. And that was so surprising Uh, to to Jonah that he couldn't believe that God would even expect him to go preach to these Ninevites they're Gentiles these promises aren't theirs you you're not their God they have their own gods 
And yet it was a mystery to, to him in the time past. This is why even the Apostle Peter struggled and wrestled with thinking about taking the gospel to the Gentile nations. So what a blessing it is then that God in his eternal plan has worked it in such a way that you were included in these blessings. You're heirs of Christ, joint heirs. You're members of the body of Christ, partakers of the promises of Christ. Verse number eight, you, you are a recipient of the unsearchable riches of Christ. And verse number 12, you have been given boldness and access to God your Father, which you did not have before. The only right response to this then is to praise and to worship God. I like the psalm that Jared read this morning because that is the end goal of God's plan in redeeming people from every nation and tribe and tongue. It is let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. That's what God was doing when he included us. He was, he was building a choir of voices that would be praising and worshiping him. But we see this in Psalm 117 as well. Praise the Lord, all the nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. You know, I think it is a heart of unbelief that keeps us from being unmoved, that keeps us in this apathetic place to just think, big deal, God's included me. That doesn't, seem, that doesn't seem like anything new. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. It is massive, and we ought to be praising God this morning. It is our own unbelief and sin that keeps us from crying out right now in praise to the Lord. Secondly, though, the second result of this, I, I would say, is humble service. We see this in Paul, in his example. Paul was blown away. Listen to me. Paul, the apostle, was blown away by the reality that God had chosen him and made him a part of this plan. Like he just couldn't believe this. Paul, listen to this. Paul saw his service to God not as something he did for God, but that something God did for him. Do you get that? Paul saw his service, what he did, he saw his service not as something that he was doing for God, but something that God had done for him. So look again at verse number two. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. Paul's saying, look, it was God's grace that has given me this mystery. It is God's grace that has allowed me to take part in this work. You see it again in verse number seven of this gospel. I was made a minister. I didn't choose to be a minister. I didn't take this up on my own, but I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Listen, I serve here as a minister, as a pastor, but guess what? I'm not doing something for God. God has done something for me by making me a pastor. That's the way that we ought to be thinking as Christians. You're a Sunday school teacher or a deacon. Don't think of this as drudgery, as something, well, I've got to do this for the Lord. Listen, it's a blessing of God that you get to partake and participate in this plan of redeeming a people. It's God's grace in you that allows you to have any role at all. Paul played a unique role, a very, a very big role. Some of us play smaller roles in God's redemption of this people. But if you're part of God's people, you play some role. And listen, it's his grace that has given you the ability to do that. It's by his grace that you get to participate in these things. And so we ought to be humble servants. Why would God let me 
Like, oh, I have to teach Sunday school. No, why would God let me to take the mystery of the gospel and teach young children? What a blessing it is to me. I'm, I'm a deacon. I guess I need to visit. I, I guess I need to do work. Around. No, no. Why has God included me that he would give me the blessing of being able to serve his people and help them in their faith? What a wonderful thing. That's, that's the mindset that Paul had. That's why he can say uh, in verse number eight, look at this. To me, and that word, that, that word there is emphatic. To me, exclamation point, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. Paul said, can you believe this? Me, the least. That, that, that word is a, a great word there. Uh, it, it's a word that isn't even good, good grammar. He says it, it really is uh, leaster. That's not even a word, right? But you go the least, and he says, I'm lesser than the least. I'm leaster, all right? Uh, I'm lay down. You go to the lowest down person who's a saint of God, a Christian, and I'm less than them. And God has given me this role. What an amazing thing. That's the kind of humble service that we ought to have as a result of the fact that God has made us a part of this part of this plan. And it is interesting. Other places, Paul says that he's the least of the apostles. But here he doesn't say I'm the least of the apostles. I'm the least of all the saints. If you're here this morning, you're a Christian. Paul just put himself under you. He's saying, I'm less than that person, which blows my mind away that he would say that. But as he thinks about God's grace at work in his life and the role that he's been blessed to fulfill in this ministry, he says, I'm less than the least. Whatever God calls you to do in his service, you should not see it as drudgery, but as delight. The third thing that we see here is surprising confidence, surprising confidence, knowing what God was doing, knowing this mystery, having sort of insider knowledge into what God was doing enabled the Apostle Paul to be willing to suffer for God's plan. In other words, it works this way. Paul knew what God is doing in the world. Paul knew what was unfolding, and because he knew the future, because he knew what God's plan was, because he knew what was up, so to speak, because he was in the know, he was willing to suffer because he knew what was coming in, in the future. When you become certain of what God is doing in this world, it gives you freedom to even endure suffering. And so you see this in, in the Apostle Paul. In verse number one, Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Nero and the Roman Empire on your behalf. Is that what he says? That's the reality. He was a prisoner in Rome under Nero. But that's not what he says. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. Because he knew that as much as Nero thought he was in charge, as much as Rome thought they were an empire in control of the world, he knew that they weren't. He knew that there was a supreme authority who was overriding the Roman Empire. He knew that there was one greater than Nero. And he says, the only reason I'm here is because of Christ. Christ is doing a work. And so that gives me confidence. I know that Christ is the one who has me here, not Nero. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of you. He knew in verse number 10 that, that victory was coming 
He says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Those rulers and authorities in the book of Ephesians, those are spiritual beings that have usurped dominion in this world. And Paul says that's who our battle is against the spiritual battle that we're in. And so Paul is saying here, do you get this? Paul is saying, look, when I preach the gospel and when Gentiles come and believe and are incorporated into the people of God, that is a message going out to these ruling authorities, these demons and these these fallen angels that are usurping authority in this world. It is a message to them that God is victorious. It is a message of the wisdom of God that God's plan is going forward. He's gathering his people. Do you understand this morning that God doesn't care so much who's in the Oval Office? He doesn't care about Kim Jong-un as much and what he's doing and what the rulers in China are doing or Iran. Look, the plan of God, certainly he's in control of those things. It's not as if he doesn't care about those things, but that's not the big deal. Do you know what the big deal in history is? The big deal in history is that God's saving a people, and that's what God's focus is all about. And Paul is saying, look, as I preach the gospel, I'm displaying the manifold wisdom of God to these rulers and authorities in heavenly places. God's redemption of the nations is a display to them, to these rulers and authorities of God's victory. It's because of this that really Paul comes down, and the main point that we find is in verse number 13. Do you see this? Verse number 13. So I ask you, do not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Look, God's got a plan. Forget about this. Paul, Paul doesn't say, hey, this is what you need to do, Ephesians. You need to, get, you need to mobilize your voters. You need to give them a voter's guide and tell them who they need to be voting for. You need to start working for the overthrow of Nero. Or you need to start praying that, that somehow God would remove Nero out of the way and that we would get a, 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 an emperor in Rome that is more friendly to, to Christians. Paul doesn't say that. If Paul were here today, he wouldn't be concerned about Trump or Kim Jong-un or Vladimir Putin. If Paul were here today, he'd be saying, let's preach the gospel. There's a work that God is doing, and we don't need to get distracted with politics. We don't need to get distracted with the things of this world. We need to keep our focus on the kingdom of God. This is God's plan. This is where God will have victory. God will not have victory by by whoever's in, in the Oval Office, whoever's president, or whoever's in Congress. That's not where we look for victory as Christians. God's victory comes through the kingdom of God expanding and through God's people being gathered in through the gospel being preached. And that's what we need to be about as a church. And so when things look good or when things look bad in this world, don't lose heart, Paul says. God's working out his, his plan. And that's what we need to have our focus. You know, we're not the Apostle Paul. Paul did have a unique ministry but each of us have a role to play in the advancement of the gospel message. And I think we can take by example from the Apostle Paul. Uh, and, and I pray that God would grant us eyes of faith to see the supreme importance of this work, of gospel work. And that he would make us those who boldly proclaim this message to the nations. This is what the world needs. This is what America needs. It is the gospel. And that's what we need to be about as a church. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We 
confess, Lord, I, I think that I could probably fairly speak for all of us that our hearts are not moved as they ought to be with gratitude for the fact that you've included us, that you made us a part of your people, that you have make, made us partakers of your promises and of your covenants. Lord, but we pray that you would stir our hearts in that way. We pray that you'd give us eyes of faith to see reality, that these things would be uh, the lifeblood for us, that these would be our passion, that this would bring us joy in our Christian life, that this would lead us to be humble servants, knowing that you've included us and you've given us a role in this. We pray that like the Apostle Paul, that we would be blown away by your grace in, in our lives. And God, we just pray that you would help us keep as a church the main thing, the main thing. Help us focus on the gospel and the proclamation of this message to the nations. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.